Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter. This episode combines machine learning, big data, health equity, and metastatic colon cancer, all in one research project. We spoke with Dr. Saran Karokian. She's associate professor in the Department of Population and Quantitative Health Sciences at Case Western Reserve University. She also leads the shared resource on population cancer and analytics within the Comprehensive Cancer Center there. And she's a four-time, four-time American Cancer Society grantee. We spoke with her because she was recently the recipient of a new award, the American Cancer Society Flatiron Health Real World Data Impact Award to advance patient-centric research. So ACS and Flatiron designed this grant competition to give currently funded ACS investigators access to Flatiron's national de-identified oncology data sets that are curated from electronic health records. A lot of electronic health records. So Dr. Karokian explained how she's going to use clinical and genomic data gathered from routine care to explore patterns of genomic testing and precision medicine among patients with metastatic colon cancer. So this research is really a great opportunity to improve the quality and equity of cancer care in colorectal cancer patients with metastatic disease. So let's get into the interview. This is my tremendous colleague, Dr. Susanna Greer, speaking with Dr. Saran Karokian. Good morning, Siran. How are you? Doing well. How about yourself? I am doing great. It's a beautiful day in Atlanta, blue skies, and honestly, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you. So thank you for taking some time to share with us. Thank you. All right. Well, let's dive in. We need to kind of level set and get get our audience engaged in, in what your area of expertise and what you're excited about. So one focus of your research is a term that I've read in the literature, which is called informed cancer care and management. But those aren't things that I think about all the time, probably not our audience. What do those terms mean? And I guess specifically maybe for one of your specific foci, and that's colorectal cancer patients. I think we tend to think about cancer as being cancer as being cancer. So metastatic colon cancer or any other cancer, every cancer presents differently in different people. And the key is really to do the kind of diagnostic tests to be able to say, this is how the cancer is presenting in this particular person and has the term personalized medicine. And if we don't do that kind of test, then we're kind of going in the blind and not knowing exactly what kind of treatment to, to give to the patient. And so those are the kinds of tests that we do to guide care management in these cancer patients. That's how I view it. And so if these tests are not done, there are missed opportunities for diagnosis and treatment. You're right, and and I really like that way of thinking about it, that cancer, even on its own, is not cancer, is not cancer. And certainly when you add in the actual individual who is suffering from the disease, there are going to be very different manifestations of the disease. And so we learned, yeah, we've learned that we need to target these therapies for different people in different situations. And so we, we call that personalized medicine. And the approach, I guess, what you're telling us is that in order to drive towards personalized medicine is this field of informed cancer care and manage that management. Is that correct? 
Yes, that's a great way of putting it. All right, so so if that's the case, and we're thinking about colorectal cancer in particular today, maybe help us understand what are the current treatment guidelines for colorectal cancer patients who fall into this space of having advanced disease or metastatic disease, because that will help us understand what we really want to talk about, which is what are the personalized medicine choices for these patients and how might they end up in the space of thinking about those choices? So one of the things that I would like to say um, while prefacing, you know, the current treatment guidelines and so on is that um, there are great opportunities for people to be diagnosed at earlier stages of cancer. And um, the American Cancer Society in particular has really invested a lot of effort in increasing, trying to increase colorectal cancer screening. And the purpose of screening is early detection. And we want cancers to be detected at earlier stages because that's when treatment is really effective and the prognosis is great. But there are uh, about one in five, it's actually about 21% in non-Hispanic whites and about 25% in non-Hispanic blacks who end up being diagnosed with metastatic cancer. And metastatic means that cancer has gone to distant organs. And with colorectal cancer, it means that um, it's typically gone to um, the liver or the lungs or even the, um, the lining of the abdominal cavity or some distant lymph nodes. Now, uh, surgery is unlikely to cure these cancers, but there are, if there are small metastases and generally they give um, chemotherapy before surgery, then they can, they are able to remove some of these lesions. Um, and there's also surgery that is done on the colon because they need to do colon resection or divert the colon, it's called colostomy, or even put a stent in the colon to keep it open. So there are surgeries that are done as well. But there's, you know, chemotherapy plays a big role both before and after um, surgery. Now, the, the new area, it, it's not quite very new, but the, the most importantly, and this is recommended in people who have metastatic uh, colorectal cancer, the guideline states that they should have genomic testing done on the tumor. What does that mean? It means that they will look in the tumor, what are the gene or protein changes that have happened, and accordingly decide whether there are targeted therapies that can be given to the patient. So these are kind of, you know, the, the treatment options, but um, it is now the guideline to have the tumor tested for um, gene and protein changes. It's so interesting. So we've come from a place where colorectal cancer patients who have advanced disease, which you reminded us that the term is a metastatic disease that where the cancer has spread beyond the initial site. And in this case, we're thinking about the colon, that we've come from a place where the standard treatment would be some form of chemotherapy, potentially followed by some, some form of surgical resection. And, and maybe that's it. And now we've moved to the place where the recommendation is that all patients are also given a test, and we call that genomic testing, to understand what's really happening 
for their specific disease? What is it about their cancer that might respond to all these different other options that we have now for treatment? And so it's so interesting that in a fairly short period of time, we've gone to this recommendation, as you said, that everybody should have genomic testing. So maybe could you help us understand how that might look for a particular patient? Like when would that genomic testing take place? Typically, uh, when the tumor is, is biopsied or resected, um, they would send out for that kind of testing. And that's okay. when they would say, okay, so there are these particular mutations that are um, candidates for these particular targeted therapies. So once a patient knows then that for their particular tumor type, that it may or may not respond, to different targeted therapies. This is kind of where we wanted to pick up our conversation today because I, I think it's really interesting. One of the things that you have recently posed is that colorectal cancer patients who find themselves in this space, in the metastatic disease space, who are young and healthy but underserved may not receive this genomic testing and personalized therapy due to certain barriers. So I'm really interesting. So now I'm a little confused because we talked about the fact that this should be the way things just flow, right? You would right. have right. surgery and then you would be recommended for genomic testing and that potentially there's something really fantastic that we can now do that we know specifically will help you. But but one of the your areas of research and interest is that this doesn't seem to happen for all patients. So help us understand, are there specific barriers that patients who, in, in my mind, would be kind of the perfect candidates for a targeted therapy? They're young, they're healthy, but you are bringing to light, you and your colleagues, that for specific reasons, they, they may not be given this option for genomic testing. So tell us a little bit more about this challenging space. Right, and t this is a, an area that is not unique to metastatic colorectal cancer. This is an area that is um, really pervasive in all aspects of healthcare delivery. There are particular uh, tests and procedures and treatment uh, modalities that are recommended for a given condition or even preventively, and uh, that doesn't happen in 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 all patients who are candidate to receive these kinds of treatment or procedures. And why is that? And it's because of uh, very well-known disparities and a lot of barriers to be able to receive this type of treatment. And um, I, can, I can give you many, many examples, um, but I will, you know, in, in this case, we are really focusing on genomic testing. And the data are not quite there. This is not an area that has been uh, researched a lot. And so we would like to be able to use real world data and flat iron data are collected from routine clinical practice and be able to say, well, who is and who is not receiving genomic testing? So just like you mentioned in your example, this healthy person who has who has been diagnosed with metastatic colorectal cancer is that person receiving genomic testing and what percent of them are or are not 
And that's really our focus when we talk about underuse. And there are many, many barriers that may prevent this person from uh, receiving that kind of testing. One of them is insurance coverage and costs. These are costly tests and the treatment is also very expensive and it may just be unaffordable for that patient to really receive that test. Another one would be uh, their access to state-of-the-art care, whether it's because of physical distance or whether it's because of difficulties um, due to compromised social determinants of health. You know, I don't have the transportation. Uh, I don't know where to go. I, I have a lot of other priorities in my life that prevent me from really giving all my attention to this particular health problem that I have right now due to many, many different reasons that um, really plague people who, who have um, limited income and uh, many the different social determinants of health that are compromised. Um, I would also note structural racism. I would also note unconscious bias in uh, interpersonal medical interactions. So there are many different barriers that may contribute to underuse of um, these tests when it comes to healthy uh, patients who may be candidate to, to receive this test. All right, so thank you. That was, that's incredibly helpful and enlightening and especially when I, I think about, as you said, this otherwise healthy, young cancer patient who has had surgery. And at this point, they, sh they should now have the opportunity to become aware of what other treatment modalities, and especially in the personalized medicine space, may or may not be available to them. But you've reminded us that in the underserved population, that there are significant barriers that may prevent that from happening, those that genomic testing and the recommendations that would come from that. And you've listed a, a lot of them. The things that I that stand out to me would be just cost, um, life, when we you mentioned transportation and other kind of access to care issues, racism and bias, and then certainly the interaction that you have with the healthcare professional. So let's let's put a hold on that population and but we understand the challenges that that they are facing, and there are many more, as you mentioned. On the other side, one of the things I find absolutely fascinating about your research is that you've suggested that uh, colorectal cancer patients who are at the very other end of the disparity and health and age spectrum, for lack of really a better word, may actually be more likely to receive genomic testing and then the recommendation for personalized therapy. So. Would you tell us a little bit more about this patient group and why the the access and recommendations may be quite different for them? Yes, I find this as fascinating, Susanna, because I think there are a lot of people, that there are a lot of instances in healthcare where treatment and procedure and testing and all these kinds of um, issues that we discussed are overused in certain subgroups of the population. For example, cancer screening in the very old. You know, I may have very limited life expectancy. I may have a lot of different chronic conditions or even functional limitation, et cetera. But I continue to receive, for example, cancer screening. 
um, in particular mammography, you know, we, there have been some discussion about older women uh, receiving mammography, and I'm talking about the 80 or 85 and older. So uh, that overuse really greatly contributes to inefficient and wasteful use of finite healthcare resources, and I always need to keep in mind that these are finite resources and how we're using them, how how intelligent we are in using them is really going to make a big impact on equity down the road. So overuse is when, um, in, in this particular study, genomic testing and untargeted treatment uh, are given to individuals with limited life expectancy. Again, we're talking in, in the very old, like 80 plus, uh, who have multiple chronic conditions, who have poor physical performance status. And a lot of these conditions are going to present competing causes of death and really limit the benefits of targeted therapy. So again, in, you know, bear in mind that these are very expensive procedures and treatment then you know, what is the impact on the healthcare system that we are inefficiently using this testing and this treatment on people in whom this treatment would have very limited benefit. And I think we need to really uh, be mindful of that and curtail such overuse. And in fact, I should mention that the American Board of Internal Medicine has launched an initiative by the name Choosing Wisely, in which they really focus on this type of overuse of tests and procedures and treatment. You know, it's such an it's in such an interesting frame that you've reminded us of because we don't often think about healthcare and our healthcare system as being a limited resource. I mean, we can think about it like a pile of if we had a pile of M&Ms and we had a group of people and we wanted to give an M&M to everyone, but we couldn't. So we had 20 M&Ms and we had 40 people. We're going to have to make some decisions. And I, I don't think that we always think about healthcare in that way. We, we think of it, I think, as an unlimited resource <laughs> and we want everyone to have equitable access, but it, but it in fact is not an unlimited resource. So I appreciate you reminding us of instances of healthcare overuse and then depletion of what really can only be described of as finite resources. If we give all of our M&Ms to five people, there's not going to be any left for the other 35. So we have to make some, what I think are hard decisions about how to use those resources. So one of the things I'm really excited about for you in particular and for your field are that you are you are just now um, beginning to ask some of these really tough questions. You've received collaborative funding. So this is a collaborative grant from the American Cancer Society and from Flatiron Health to determine if these differences could diminish the benefits and increase the potential for waste and targeted therapy. Um, and so I guess to answer some of the hard questions and then provide insight into, and what's next, what do we do? So can you tell us what we hope to learn? 
Yeah, so Flatiron Health collects data from routine clinical practice. You have all kinds of data there. You have the data from academic settings and community settings and, um, you know, all kinds of age groups, all kinds of, you know, all payer data, all kinds of insurance um, status. And so what we would like to do is really use that data to see who is receiving genomic testing and then targeted therapy and who is not. And by doing so, we are going to identify opportunities for interventions to address both over and underuse and promote equity. So how might your study, so to kind of take us full circle to where we were before, in the very beginning, how might your study actually do that, improve equity in this space where we're thinking about not only access to care, but access to the, to the best care and the best we have to offer. And in that, I mean, precision medicine. That's a great question, Susanna. And I think that we, this study is not there to provide all the answers to the questions, but it's a place to start a discussion on overuse and underuse and really be able to identify the pockets and population that are suffering from underuse. I would also say overuse. Getting that kind of treatment when it's not really going to give you a full benefit is not a good thing. And so we would like to be able to tell the healthcare systems, look, there are all these things going on in real life. And we would really like to be able to put things in place whereby we decrease overuse and increase underuse. And how that's going to happen, I think that we need a lot of education, we need commitment from leadership to really be able to say, here's how we're going to proceed forward with um, kind of equalizing things across subgroups of the population. And it's going to take a lot of effort from the leadership to do that. You know, changing these practices is not easy. And as you mentioned, there are some really hard decisions to be made. And also, you know, how do you get to, how do you address all the barriers that we mentioned earlier? And by the way, you, you said something very important. These barriers may or may not come just one at a time. And in fact, there's a confluence of risk factors for underuse and how do we tackle at least some of them it's going to be really difficult, but I think that we need to start this discussion along the lines of overuse and underuse to promote equity and the way we think of disparities. Well, we are so grateful that you're in this space. I think it would be really interesting for our listeners to understand how you got here, because this isn't... <laughs> This is not the first time you've delved into this issue. You're a renowned expert. So maybe one way that you could help us is, could you just share with us, are there ways that funding from the American Cancer Society has impacted your career? Oh, thank you for that question, Susanna. I think that this, you know, research in, this, in the space of disparities has been really fascinating to me. And um, I've done a lot of work with Medicaid data and the American Cancer Society has been there for me. I've been honored um, to have been funded by American Cancer Society. So first to examine, 
Ohio's Breast and Cervical Cancer Early Detection Program on Breast Cancer Disparities. And I also have a current grant to look at the impact of Medicaid expansion on cancer outcomes. And now this award to look at disparities in genomic testing and targeted therapy, their overuse and underuse. So ACS funding has been highly instrumental with advancing my research and cancer disparities research, and that's really my passion. I would like, as I move forward with this type of research, I would like to come up with actionable ways by which to reduce disparities and hopefully promote equity. I think that's when we can we can be most satisfied because just documenting disparities isn't enough and I, we've been doing a lot of that, but really kind of getting underneath that layer to be able to say, what's happening in subgroups of the population and are there ways, new ways to think about equity to, to promote, to first to devise interventions and then to promote them to um, advance equity. So this is a very exciting, this is a very personal area for me. Um, and now with all the conversation on racism, this is even, um, these are even more pressing issues that we need to address very urgently. I mean, you're exactly right. It, it's such a challenging space, but I think you, you are right. You and your colleagues have spent in, an entirety of careers understanding disparities and the challenges. And I, I think the field is moving to a place of not only documentation, but doing. And I love that. And I love that the ACS is a part of that. So thank you. Um, I, I just have really one last question, and that is that I'd really love for you to speak to a portion of our audience who is the most important group, and those are cancer patients and survivors and caregivers. Do you, do you have a particular message you would like to share with these listeners? Well, first I would like to thank them because we learn so much from them. We learn from their courage. We learn from their struggles so much. Um, but, you know, the one thing I would really like to tell them is be your own advocate and let your loved ones be your advocates as well. And um, the more you can read, the more you can inform yourself and then have that interaction with your healthcare provider in a more informed way, I think would take you a, a really um, long way. So, you know, how about you know asking the right questions and sometimes just doing that may change the course of diagnosis and treatment and i think we're all in this together and it's not just the patient the caregivers the loved ones have really a big role to play in all this and i would like to just take a second to um thank the american cancer society not just for the funding but also for the amazing materials that they have on their website there's so much information that, that is put out there and in a language that's really accessible even to uh, people who are not practicing in the medical field. So the more informed you are, the more you read that you consume these materials, be it from American Cancer Society, National Cancer Institute, but just from sources that are well, uh, well known, I think will arm you with the information that you need when you go to have that interaction with your healthcare provider and have very informed discussions and 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 help the process of equity from your end as well. 
that's a really lovely way to, to say it, right? That we're, we are absolutely all in this together and to help cancer patients feel empowered that their role is equally as important in this decision-making and in the fight for no better word to make sure that we continue to make progress and reach real solutions for equitable dissemination of healthcare resources. So I really love that message. And empowerment is the right word, Susanna. Thank you for saying that. I think that's really the right word. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been so interesting and informative, and I, I just wish you the very best of luck. Thank you so much for having me.